0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, I hope you've had a great week. I hope you're staying dry, but I hope you're really looking forward to to what we're going to delve into this morning. In in June this year, so just next month, a large part of our uh, country begins to loathe, nitpick, dislike, detest, and may I even suggest, hate each other, all because we're faced to pick a side. We're faced to pick a party. We're faced to pick our allegiances. And I'm not talking about the federal election. I'm talking about three words, state of origin. You know, it's it's the one thing that divides our nation. Well, it's really only kind of two states, but, you know, it divides part of our nation, divides families. You know, I've seen people cross the road because of someone wearing a certain coloured jersey to try and get out of the way. You know, I've seen it affect people's relationships, divide families, divide friendships, and may I even suggest divide our church just for a very short space of time. But what we're going to continue looking at this morning, we're, we're looking through the start of the book of Revelation. We're looking this morning at Revelations chapter 2. We've been looking at seven letters that Jesus penned to seven different churches. We're going to continue this morning by looking at a, at a, at a letter that Jesus wrote to the church of Pergamum. And it was dealing with the Roman Empire. And the, the issue was that the Roman Empire was divided. Not because part of it went for New South Wales and part of it went for Queensland, but because of a whole lack of unity within the, within that, that, that empire. You see, the, 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 the empire of Rome spread from what now is Germany all the way through to North Africa, all the way from Spain, all the way down to Egypt. And so it covered a huge amount of the world. And, and so as you can imagine, it came with so many different people from so many different places, so many different language groups, religious backgrounds, and they all found themselves under the Roman Empire. And they were disunified. And they they, they found themselves disunified because it was from so many, so many different places, so many different countries, so many different backgrounds, with so many different faiths. And so Rome faced a challenge. They faced a challenge of them being disunified. And so they thought they recognized that there is nothing more powerful that brings people together than a common religion. And so, Uh, In front of them stood one of the greatest leaders, Caesar, of the greatest nation or the the greatest empire, Rome. And so they began what was called the Caesar, the worship of Caesar, or Caesar worship. And Peregrine, which was one of the cities in, in, in this part of the world, and they created the first ever temple in AD 25 to worship Caesar Augustus, the Caesar of that time. But not only that, but Caesar was a uh, sorry. Peregrine was a wealthy, but also a wicked city. It was a city of influence in that area, and in the middle of this city, which worshipped Caesar Augustus, there was an affluent city. In the middle of that city was a was a church, and this is the church that Jesus is writing to. And what I love about the Bible is this. Although it was written, this letter was penned and written to this church, it's actually still incredibly relevant and, dare I say, incredibly challenging even to our church, even to our lives today. See, some people often think that, that God is some kind of killjoy, the one who steals our freedom and takes away all the fun stuff of life. But how many of us know, how many of us know that God knows what's best for us because He made us? I mean, if you, if you would interview my kids after the service and say, kids, if you could live on chocolate and pizza or Brussels sprouts and spinach, which one do you reckon they would go for? Pizza. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. you know, and, and I mean, the reality is none of us love Brussels sprouts. Anyone like Brussels sprouts? Jesus forgive them for their odd. No, 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 Like, like, I mean, the reality is if you asked our kids, if you, in fact, you probably asked many of us, you know, would you prefer to live on pizza and chocolate or Brussels sprouts and spinach? We would all probably and probably should say, oh, no, we probably shouldn't. You know, we would suggest that we would love to live on chocolates and pizza. You see, the reality is it would not, we would not be healthy people if we lived on chocolate and pizza. This morning, I was preparing this message, and I've been praying through this over this last week. I feel like God's got some Brussels sprouts and some spinach for us today. Not because He wants to take the fun from life, but simply because He knows what we need. So the title of my message this morning is simply called this, The Challenge of Compromise. So if you want to open your Bibles... Uh, Revelations chapter 2, we're going to look uh, starting at verse 12. It says this, To the angel of the church of Pergamum, he writes, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. You may, you are, sorry, yet you remain true to my name. You do not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Let me just pause there for a moment. I mean, this seems like a pretty heavy start. I mean, you know, where all of a sudden he said Satan twice in the side of it. He's already talking about one of the leaders of the church that has been martyred to death. I mean, it seems like a fairly uh, intense and heavy start to his letter. Let me paint a little bit more of the context, a little bit more of the picture of what was going on here. So here we find the Roman, the Roman Empire is somewhat disunified. And an attempt to bring unity to this city... Caesar brings about Caesar worship. And in Pergamum, they, they create the first ever temple to Caesar Augustus. And, and what would happen is on a certain day, at one day, once a year, every Roman citizen, in other words, everyone in these cities, would have to go to the temple of Caesar and would have to burn a pinch of incense. And as they burned them, they would have to say, Caesar is Lord and when they'd done that they would get a certificate to guarantee that they had done this and after they'd burnt the the incense and acknowledged that Caesar is Lord then they could go about and they could worship any God that they particularly liked in other words it was a moment where they just had to come into the temple and they had to tick a box they had to do a duty but then they could go away and live their lives however they wanted to live their lives and and if you didn't Caesar had his centurion, he had his army strategically there to assist in your worshiping and declaring that Caesar is lord. And if you didn't, they would assist you with some big swords and some big spears, and then you would be encouraged to acknowledge that Caesar is lord and burn some incense. And so Jesus here is writing to a church who he understood first uh, he understood fully well They are in a place of hostility and they're having to have pagan worship. And here they they've seen and they've they've witnessed one of their very own, one of their leaders who'd been martyred to death. And yet God encourages them. Jesus writes in this letter to them that I have seen that you have been faithful. And he starts out his letter by encouraging them to not give up. He starts out his letter by encouraging them, don't give up because I have seen your faithfulness. But then the letter goes on in verse 14. It says this, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Let me pause there for a second. I remember in grade two, David Mitten, he was one of my best friends and dave and i grew up from 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 pre-birth like our parents knew each other and he was my best friend from as far as i could remember and i remember in grade two dave minton got my little gi joe man and he broke one of the legs off can i just say i held a grudge you know what does it say here you know i have a few things against you you know for a whole week i had a few things against my best friend because he snapped A leg off my G.I. Joe man. Now I wonder, I wonder what they must have done for God to hold some things against them. And this is what happens as we continue. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Who taught Balak to, to entice the Israelites to sin. So that they ate food, sacrificed to the idols and Committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you have you also have those amongst you who are teaching of the Nicolotians. So here we find we find Jesus holding something against them. You yeah, know, he says here, but what you've you've stayed faithful to me. And and you've not given up your faith. So he's encouraging them at the start. But then he says, but little by little, you've become divided by deceptive teaching. Little by little, you've fallen off the wagon. Little by little, you've been led into idolatry and a sexual immorality. Now, Now, Balaam wasn't a person's name. It was, in a sense, it was kind of like a code name for the, for the prophets that would, that would lead or try and lead people astray. Into, and it would lead them into sexual immorality and eating food that was offered to other gods, other idols. And obviously, this was frowned upon by God. This is God, wasn't God's best intentions for them, and it's still not God's best intentions for us today. And, and, and not only that, but we find this discussion around the, the Nicolaitans and, and they're teaching how it had crept into it as well. Now, I need to clarify, this isn't the Nickelodeons, not SpongeBob and SquarePants. These are the Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitans were a group of people, in fact, they were a sect. Who taught that Christians could live and engage in sexual immorality and do whatever they liked but somehow that they would be if they believed in this kind of sex cult that they would be that they would be exempt from the consequences of their sin. And so you can see how these worked so well together in the fact that you can live and do whatever you want you can sleep with you if you want, you can eat whatever you want, you can conduct yourselves however you Wanton and that somehow if you believe in this kind of God, then he would just kind of forgive and condone the lifestyle that you live. Together they understood that you could do whatever you wanted and that God would forgive you. And again you know, it's kind of it's kind of like that that easy teaching that can so easily slip into even our minds. It's you know, if if somehow if we're just good enough if we just do enough good stuff, I mean, I'm like a not a wicked person. I'm a, I think I'm a pretty good person. And somehow, if I'm just kind of good enough, then that will kind of somehow just get me into heaven one day when I die. That if that if God really is a God of love, then how can he let good people go to hell? You know, if, if, if God really is a God of love, then sort of somehow God just kind of love wins in the end. And if we're good enough, then we'll just sort of Get into heaven. But the issue is this. See, God is a God of love. But God is also holy and a just God. And see, the, the reality is, is God's got a standard. God's got a, got a standard for our lives. But, but the reality is we've all sinned. We're all messed up, jacked up, screwed up, and stuffed up. Like, we've all made mistakes in our lives. And no matter how much God loves us, he cannot condone or accept our sin. See, someone had to pay the price. See, someone, he recognized that this is the standard and this is where we are on our very best day. And somehow, someone's got to bridge the gap. So that's why God sent his one and only son. To pay the price. To pay the penalty. To do what we could never do. And so they found themselves, this church found themselves in a situation where there was a challenge to compromise. See, they found themselves in a slippery slope. And where where little things started to kind of just like a snowball rolling down a hill where it starts small and it began to get bigger and bigger and bigger and they found themselves in a spot where they didn't know how to get out of the lies that they'd been telling and the, the lies that they'd been accepting and they didn't know how to get out of the situation that they found themselves in because they'd compromised so many times in the little areas of their lives that they found themselves in a spot where they didn't know what was a lie and what was the truth because they'd compromised time and time again. And I don't know if you noticed, but I want to suggest this morning that I reckon we don't live in a community, in a world that's that much different. See, now, in our society today, we're confronted to worship Many different things per se. You know, we have plenty of idols in our lives, whether it's materialism or celebrities who receive more attention than maybe what we give to God. See, there's one thing that characterizes and it's a central theme to our world, and it's an overly sexualized society. I mean, all you have to do is put the TV on, flick on social media, and you can't avoid it we spend more time in these things we spend more time we spend more effort and more money trying to taste trying to trying to chase materialistic advancements and self-gratification and spending countless hours each week in entertainment and yet far less time in God's word in church this morning i need to confess something I need to confess that this is much of a challenge for me. You know, as I was writing this, this week and as I was praying through and thinking through all of this stuff, God began to challenge me and say, "Dave, boy, how are you going in these areas? And see, I need to confess that one of the challenges that I've got is that I love to watch TV and I love to watch Netflix and, and, and do all of these things. And I can find myself and I've found myself so easily slipping into Time and time again, spending far more time in that than in God's Word. Spend so much more time in that than in prayer and and in worship. And I need to confess that to you this morning. Because I need, see, I need to confess that this morning because I want that to change in my life. Where God becomes more important to me. And then just turning on and being able to zone out for an hour or five or whatever it might be. See, Jesus was challenging the church of Pergamum. And he's still challenging us today. And they say, they started out with intense commitment to prayer. They started out with a, with an intense desire and, and hunger for God. They started out with an intense desire to worship God with everything they are. Not just kind of standing in church with their hands in their pockets or doing the Baptist hand raise. But you know, he... They started out with intense love and passion for God. They they started out in this place where they they would give everything they had because they wanted to reach people far from Jesus. We didn't just talk about they were generous, but they lived a generous life. They they lived a place where they were so hungry for the presence of God that it consumed everything they were. But they had found themselves on a slippery slope a slippery slope to the challenge of compromise. Do you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed that no one starts out intentionally to make dumb decisions. Okay? Like, no, 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 I mean not that anyone here has ever made a dumb decision. Like, I just need to clarify that, but I have. You know, like we don't ever start out intentionally going, I'm going to make a really dumb decision today. But what we do is comp- we, we begin to compromise. We begin to, 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 to start with a little slip, which moves to a little choice, which moves to a little distraction, and then it leads to a larger, a larger slip and a larger choice and a larger distraction, and before we know it, we aren't where we used to be, and so the church there had found themselves in a place where they began a little slip and a, and, a, and, a, and a little choice and a little distraction, and they found themselves in a place that they weren't where they used to be have you ever found yourself in a moment of a little bit of compromise in exodus chapter 34 verse 12 we find these words penned for you shall worship no other god for the lord is a jealous god I've often thought about that and gone, our God is a jealous God. It like, that seems like a strange word to put into this passage where it says, you know, uh, you shall worship no other God except for me. And, and I looked up the, the, the Hebrew word which is, which is translated jealous, and it's the, the Hebrew word quanna, Q-A-N-N-A. And it's the same word that's translated zeal, passion, enthusiasm, fervor. So what God is saying here is this, that God has great zeal, passion, enthusiasm, and fervor for His relationship with you. And God wants our affection, and God wants our attention. But what I love we read through this letter that Jesus pens to this church in the, in the middle of a compromised city. In a bunch of, they were making a whole bunch of compromi- compromises in little and big ways in their life. And what I love is the fact that Jesus here starts out and encourages and then kind of slaps them between the eyes with the challenge, saying, you know what, you have made far too many compromises. But I love the fact that God doesn't leave it there. Because he finishes with verse 16. He begins to conclude his letter with this. And he says this, Repent therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So when Jesus begins to talk to his people and say, I want you to recognize that you've made some little and big slips. You've made some big and little compromises in your life. I want you to know that there is always hope and that with Jesus there is always hope and with Jesus there is always help and he finishes this letter by calling them to repent in other words he's he's got his arms out open wide and he's saying all I want you to do is I just want you to come back to me again have you ever noticed that there's a difference between an offer and an action have you ever noticed there's one thing to receive an offer and it's another thing to act upon and take up that offer? You know, how many times have you, has someone offered you or maybe you've offered someone else assistance and they or you have not always taken up that act of generosity, that that act of an offer? Because sometimes... Our, Look, and I need to to confess in this one. You know, oftentimes it's because it requires me to be humble. You know, it actually requires me to go, yes, I recognize that I can't do it and I need your help. And my issue is this. I am a guy. And we don't do offers to help very well. We offer help well, but we don't always receive help well. But Jesus here is giving an offer. He's giving an invitation. He's inviting every one of us. And he's looking at you in the eyes and he's looking at me in the eyes and he's saying, What I want you to do is I recognize your, your, the fact that you've, you've, you've slipped into. I, I recognize you've slipped into compromise, but I want you to know that my arms are open wide and I'm, all, I'm giving you the option. I'm giving you the offer. I'm, giving, I'm calling you to receive and I'm calling you to repent To just simply come back to me. See, I want to remind you this morning that it's not too late that while there's breath in your lungs, Jesus is calling you back this morning. No matter how much you've made a mistake, no matter how many big that mistake is, how little that mistake is, how big that compromise might be, or how little that compromise might be, Jesus will always offer the option to repent, to come back. Notice what Jesus says here. Notice what Jesus says when he begins to wrap up this letter. He says, uh, you know, and and, and I know that I'm not God. I mean, I know that doesn't shock anyone here. Like, I know that we're all not sitting there going, really, Dave? Like, uh, we all recognize that I'm not God by any stretch of imagination. And I know that because if I was God in this moment, I would look at the church who compromised time and time again, little, 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 that amounted it itself into bigger and bigger and bigger ways to the point where Jesus is writing them a, a letter and slamming them because they had lost their focus on God and began to fall into all these different beliefs and traps. And I know that I'm God because I would have looked at them going, That's it! I had enough! Time is, I've given you so many chances, and you keep blowing it. Like, if it was me, that's kind of my attitude towards them. But Jesus simply calls to them. And he says, come and repent. And notice what he says after. He says, I will come to you and I will fight against who? Them. It doesn't say, you know, come, I will come to you and I will fight against you. He says, i come to you and I will fight against them. Now, who's them? Remember, it's the the Nicolaitans and the the other guys that I've just lost lost the name of, those ones, yep, those ones. And and, and he's saying, you know, I will come to you and I will stand alongside of you and I will fight the false teachers and the false prophets that have come to steal, kill and destroy, that have come to distract you from the calling that God's placed on your life, That that I'll stand with you and I will give you the strength that you need to stand even when there's challenges... Compromise, And Jesus is standing here, and he starts off with some warm and fuzzies, and then he challenges them strongly, and then he calls them to repent and to reach out to him. See, one of my favorite Bible verses is Jeremiah 29, 13, and in the NLT version it says this, If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find You know what I love about that verse? The first time I heard it, there was something that just began to leap inside of me, is that it doesn't say, when you look at me, when you look for me wholeheartedly, you might find me if you get your stuff together. Like, you know, if you look forward, if if you look for me, and on your best day when you don't blow it, then you'll find me. You know, if you look for me and you get your life together and you kind of shine up the messy parts and you kind of repent and you kind of work your stuff out and you kind of, like, just get a bit of your junk together. Like, I, that's, that's not you, that's just me. You know, and like, but I love that verse because it says, if we look for him wholeheartedly, we, what? Will. Huh. See, some of us, we felt like, because of the mistakes that we've made, because of the compromises that we've done, that God couldn't love someone like you. And maybe you can think that, but maybe you can't. You, you struggle to believe that God could forgive. <laughs> that, that you wrestle with this whole idea of that God, God is a God of love, but I've made some really big mistakes, and God could never. God does. In fact, he wants to remind us all the way back in the Old Testament, talking to a young 14 to 16-year-old prophet, and he says, he pens these words, he gives these words to him, and he gives these words to us that if we look for him wholeheartedly, we will find church it might not be as difficult to follow Jesus in Queensland Australia today as it was back in first century in Pergamum but we are still surrounded with a temptation to compromise in our faith we're still challenged to compromise in just some little areas And, and if you're anything like me We can so easily think, yeah, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's not that big. I mean, what kind of, it's not going to really affect anyone else. I mean, it's it's not that significant. It's not that profound. Like, it's not, I'm not going to murder anyone. Like, it's just like a little tiny thing that, I mean, no one will see. So surely it doesn't really matter. You know, we can so easily fall into that place of compromise and go, but it's only just little, and it's only just small, and it's, all, it's not really affecting anyone else. It's just kind of, I'm just cheating a little bit on my taxes in this area, I'm just doing this in that area. And it's really, like, it's not really that big a deal. But God doesn't leave that option for us. See, God doesn't leave an option for us just to simply tick a box to once a year to come and just kind of pay our dues on that once a year and then go back to our old lifestyle and just continue living. You know, we, we tick the box, we do the incense, we declare not that Caesar is Lord, but Jesus is Lord, and then kind of just go back to the lifestyle that we're living. You know, God doesn't call us to be CEOs. You know, the Christmas Easter only Christians. He doesn't call us to simply just come to church, tick a box, sing a song, listen to do rant and rave at the front, but he calls us to give our lives because he has the bestest life for us. As I've been praying about this, as I've been been in this this passage all week, I can't shake the feeling, church, that God is calling us back to Him. That for some of us, maybe for many of us, dare I say for all of us, that, that we've compromised in some little areas in our lives. And it might not seem that significant. It might not seem that big. And you thought that no one else will see and no one else will care. What difference does it make? But I want to say this morning, in love but with a challenge, that God sees. That God cares. Why does God see? Why does God care? Because... He wants a deeper relationship with Him. See, the challenge is this. The challenge is this this morning, is that I can only take you where you want to go. See, this is the biggest challenge I face as a pastor, is that that, that I can only take you as far as you want to go. You know, the challenge as a pastor is is that I see so much potential in what God wants to do in your life. God wants to do through your life. But the challenge is is if you won't go there, then I'm just having some great thoughts to myself. That, That God this morning is calling us. Church, I believe that God's calling us as a church. He's calling us as individuals. He's calling us as couples. He's calling us as families. He's calling us to come back. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.